You're going to want a Bible. Go ahead and pull that out. 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel 18. Um, and if you did not bring a Bible, there's a blue Bible underneath the seat you are sitting in. Um, and 1 Samuel 18 is on page 268. Page 268. We began 1 Samuel 18 uh, last Sunday. Last Sunday we began it. And just kind of, if you weren't here, just kind of give you a quick catch up. Um, in chapter 17, as there's a famous story, which you've all at least heard a little bit of, is David and Goliath, right? David defeats Goliath, this great Philistine battle-hardened soldier, defeats him in battle. David, this teenage, this skinny little teenage boy, becomes the hero, the champion of the day. Saul, who's the reigning king, brings David in, says, I got to know who this guy is. And Saul chooses to make David his own. He takes David for himself. He says, you're mine now. You're going to serve me the rest of your life. You exist to serve me. And Saul's son, Jonathan, responds rightly and says, uh, you don't exist for me. I exist for you. I lay down my life for you, David. You are the rightful king. Right? And now this is going to, we're, going to, we're going to piggyback off of that. We're going to look at what happens next in our story. What we're going to see is something that is produced in Saul that changes the rest of the story. The, the rest of the book um, it kind of hinges on these next verses. In order to understand what happens in the rest of the book, you've got to understand what happens in chapter 18. And so David has killed Goliath. Saul brings him in. And then he's, Saul takes him for himself. And then we're going to see what happens today. And so we believe here at Flourishing Grace that this is the word of God. Every letter on every page he has protected uh, for centuries. And so in honor and reverence to it, if you're able, would you stand with me as I read it for us this morning? We're going to pick it up. We're going to back up a little bit. We'll pick it up in verse 5. Verse 5, we read verse 5 last week, but I'm just going to kind of give us some context. Chapter 18, verse 5. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent him over the men of war. And this was good in, all, in, this, in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, that is Goliath, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines and songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down thousands, and David his tens thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house. While David was playing the lyre, the harp, as he did day by day, Saul had his spear in his hand. And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. But he had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence, and he made him the commander of a thousand. And he went out, and he came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David, 
for they went out and came in before, for he went out and came in before them. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. All right. So for King Saul, what we see in this passage, kind of right in the very beginning, David and Saul are returning from this victorious battle, right, where David has defeated this great giant Goliath, this, this Philistine soldier, this battle-hardened man, where everybody was cowering in fear of. David has defeated him. And if we read on, that the, 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 the armies of Israel pursued the armies of the Philistines, and they, they just mowed them down. They, the, the Philistines ran in fear, and Israel just dominated, right? And they're coming back. And as they come back, and they go through from town to town to town to town, the women are coming out in the streets, Right? Because their husbands are coming home from war. They're coming out to greet them. And they're coming out. Why are they coming out? Did you see it in verse 6? Look at verse 6. And as they, these women were coming home, or as the, the, as the troops are coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistines, the women came out from all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet who? Who? King Saul. To meet King Saul. They're literally coming out of their own. They're saying, the king is coming. The king is parading through the streets, and they're coming out to meet King Saul. It's this beautiful thing. They're singing a song. They're declaring with song what has happened, that David has single-handedly struck down 10,000s, all of these Philistines. He has rescued and redeemed these thousands of lives. Their husbands are back. And Saul, Saul's a great commander and a great king who has, who has killed thousands in previous battles. But Saul doesn't see it this way. Saul, this drives Saul crazy. Saul, it says that he's angered by this. Saul hears these words. He hears, David's killed tens of thousands and I've killed thousands. What do they mean by that? What, what's going on here? What's produced in Saul in this moment is what we would call envy. Saul is envious of David, right? Envy is, is, when, is when we long for something that someone else has. I, I envy this thing about them. David, at this moment, has received, he receives the, the glory of the people. He receives the praise of the people. And Saul is envious of David's ability to be faithful to the Lord, to defeat Goliath, and all, all of these things that David is able to do, Saul is envious of that, right? Envy is when uh, we, if somebody has something and we say, man, I wish I was like that. I wish I had that thing. We've all experienced this in some way, shape, or form, right? We, we've all experienced envy, whether it's uh, maybe a person at work, Right, some, some this new guy comes into work and they're just skilled, man. They they got high level talent and they're just doing all the right things and they're they're climbing the ladder and you're like, man, they've got skills. I wish I had that type of skill. I wish I had his abilities or her abilities. I wish I could do what they could do. Maybe there's somebody who comes into your friend group, right? You have a group of friends and all of a sudden, you know, somebody somebody invites a, another friend into the group and man, they're just they're just they just got this charisma and they're just they're just funny and and, and witty and everybody laughs at their jokes and you're like, "Man, I wish that I had that type of charisma," right? This this is in me. When we see something in someone and we're like, "Man, I wish I was that way." 
I'm envious of them. It could be success. It could be fame. It could be wealth. It could be a number of things that kind of defines a person, the person's kind of personality. And we see that in their personality. They say, man, I wish I was more like them. I wish I was smarter. I wish I had that many books and I read more like that, like that person. Or I, I wish I could do the things they could do. Man, they're talented. They, they're artistic. I wish I was more that way. It's envy. And that's what we see in Saul. He, he, he sees this in David. He sees these things in David. He says, man, I wish I was more like that. Now, envy ultimately can stop there. It, it can be ended there. We can say that. We can be oh, man, that's cool that they're that way. And God, I do wish I was a little bit more like that. And that could be the end of it. But unchecked. If envy is unchecked, if that persists and it continues and it goes on, right, as it does here, right, then the next piece, it says that Saul eyed David from that day on. From that day on, he's looking at him, he's sizing him up, he's thinking about who he is and all of his talents and his abilities and the skills that he has. If it goes unchecked, it produces something else. Envy is the seed of something else. It produces jealousy. You can have envy without jealousy, but it's very hard to have jealousy without envy. Jealousy is the second thing that is produced in this. Jealousy is not the same as envy. Envy is uh, looking at someone and saying, man, I wish I was more like them or I wish I had what they had. Jealousy is rooted in fear. It's a fear of, of losing something that we have, a fear of something being taken from me. I don't, I don't want to lose this thing. We see this in our own lives as well. Maybe it's the person at the office who, who comes in, they're the, the, the new hire, and they're, they're skilled and they're talented, and you're like, man, that's amazing, I wish I was more like that. And then you begin to say, what if they get my promotion? I mean, what if the boss likes them more than they like me? What if, I, what if, what if they actually take my job? Like, like what, what if? Or the new friend that comes in, they're invited into your, into your kind of circle, into your groups, and you're like, oh, this is, I wish I was more like, they're so funny and charismatic, I wish I was more like them. And then all of a sudden, it goes unchecked. You begin to eye them, you begin to think about them, and you're like, they're pushing me out. They're taking my friends from me. They're, they're taking from me. This is jealousy. Jealousy is when we, when we begin to fear that something is being taken from me, right? And you might say, man, well, that's, that's illogical. That's not, that's not true. And, and you're right. Jealousy is often illogical. In the beginning phases, jealousy is always illogical. It's untrue thoughts about someone. And we, say this, we see the same thing with Saul and David. Now, if you look at verse... Um, Verse 8, and Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looks at David, Saul looks at David and he says, man, these people are, he's receiving the praise of the people. You know what he wants? He wants the kingdom. What more can he take from me than the kingdom? That's what he's after. That's what he's trying to get from me. David clearly wants the kingdom. Now we know this isn't true. It's not true. Saul is the king. The women come to the streets to see the king. They're out there to sing his praises. When they're singing, they're singing about the great king and what the king has done. They're not insulting him. He has all the power. He's literally in the throne room. He's holding a spear, and David's holding a harp. 
Saul has all the power. He's the king. David is this, is this teenage boy playing a harp in the court of the king. He, he has no power. He has no authority. But in Saul's mind, this jealousy goes unchecked, and it begins to do what jealousy does. Diminishes the character of those around us. It diminishes the character of those around us. Envy creates this jealousy, and jealousy, if, go, if, gone, if it goes unchecked, it begins to diminish the character of other people in our lives. Saul begins to think David is this slimy, dirty, scheming scoundrel who's going to take my kingdom. You might say that, that this person at work that's come in, they're like, no, 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 they, they, they're after me. They, they want my job. That's why they're working so hard. That's why they're doing all these things. Like, that's who they are. It's not true. It's not true. In fact, it diminishes other people's views, right? They're hanging out with my boss. My boss likes them more than they like me, right? It's diminishing your view of your boss. Or the person who comes into the, to the friend group, right? And they're funny and they're, and they're charismatic and, and people like them. They're trying to win you as a friend as well. They want to be your friend, but you've convinced yourself in your mind that somehow they're out to get you. And it's just not true. That's what jealousy does. And the thing about a jealous person is you can never convince them otherwise. You can't talk a jealous person out of the fact that they are just certain that this person is out to get them, right? They're haunted by the idea that this person is, is going to take their stuff. It's gonna, they're going to take something that they cherish. You can't convince a, a jealous woman that her boyfriend is actually, is actually faithful. Actually, you, you can't convince her otherwise. You can't convince people who are jealous that these things that they've created in their mind are not true. And Saul cannot be convinced Envy unchecked produces jealousy. And jealousy causes us to create these false narratives that just simply are not true. And jealousy falsely deteriorates our view of others. Envy produces jealousy. And jealousy produces something else. Jealousy produces anger. Jealousy produces anger. We see it again. We see it in Saul in verse 9. Verse 9 and Saul eyed David from that day on, right? He's watching him. He's, he's got his eye on him. He's something I know. And then verse 10, the next day a harmful spirit of God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. And as he did day by day, Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin him to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul gets so angry over this false idea that he's created in his mind that he literally tries to take David's life. And nothing produces a murdering anger like jealousy. Nothing produces an anger of murder like jealousy. This is what it produces in you and what it produces in me. This is the reality. I mean, think about it for a moment. Every, I love like crime documentaries. I love murder mystery documentaries. Like, right now I'm in the middle of, of making a murderer part two, and I'm like, I'm in it, man. I know exactly who did it. I know exactly how they did it. And you, you're not going to convince me otherwise. I am obsessed with it. It's amazing. And the reality is, is that when you, watch, when you watch a murder documentary, you know within the first few minutes usually who did it, right? Because 90% of the time it's the same person. 
It's the most jealous person. It's the ex-boyfriend, the ex-girlfriend, the ex-husband, the ex-wife, the best friend. It's one of those. Or it's motivated by, by money, which is another form of envy and greed. It's the most jealous person. Just find out who the most jealous person is, and that's your, that's your guy. That's the one. We know, we know this is true. Nothing produces, it produces in us an, a murdering anger more than jealousy. Now, some of you in the room say, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on, hold on, hold on. Okay, you, you had me at envy. We've all experienced envy, right? We've all, we've all seen somebody in our lives and thought, gosh, I wish I was a little bit more like him or a little bit more like her. I wish I had what they had. We've all experienced that. You, you had me at jealousy, okay? Y- yes, I've experienced that. When this goes unchecked and you begin thinking things that just simply aren't true, you begin to buy into this lie that somehow they're going to take your stuff. I've experienced that, yeah, yeah, yeah. But murderous anger? No, 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 no. Like, that's, that's just like, it's too much. I've never, I've never had the thought, I'm going to pin him to the wall with a spear. Like, I've never thought that, Josh, I promise. I've never, never done that. Haven't you, though? Haven't you? When Jesus talked about this idea in, in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 5, he says it this way. Someday I'll get there. Matthew 5, 21. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. What Jesus is saying in this text is that if you've ever experienced anger towards someone out of jealousy, you are under the same judgment as the murderer in the eyes of Christ. Jealousy produces in us the anger of murder. And how often are we guilty of murder in the eyes of our Savior and think little to nothing of it? We're just like Saul. We're just like him. Jealousy can quickly lead to anger. And there's two different types of anger that jealousy can produce. There's really two types of anger that we can see in our lives, right? There's, there's quick anger, and then there's long anger. Qu- quick anger is, is the kind of like, rah, like in the moment, you're just, you're just angry. You didn't, you didn't really think about it. You just, you just became angry, right? Um, this past Wednesday in my small group, uh, there's a couple who will remain nameless um, who confessed a little bit of quick anger in our, in our group. That night at their house um, was spaghetti night, which is always a fun night to, at the house. And um, they, their spaghetti was all ready. Dinner was ready. They had to hurry, get dinner, because it's, it's small group night, too. And so we got we to gotta get there. And so the kid goes to the, to, the, to the thing and puts the spaghetti on the plate, brings it over the table, and drops the plate, and spaghetti goes all over the floor. And of course, mom and dad are like, okay, just, just, we're just going to clean it up. 
We're just going to clean it up. We're just going to clean it up. It's no big deal. And so they stop everything. They get it all cleaned up. And the, they get, the kid goes back and puts the spaghetti on the plate. And mom and dad kind of help him over the table. And then the, their other child goes over and gets his spaghetti. And as he's going over to the table, he drops his plate. And not only does he drop it on the floor, it goes down the heat vents and oozes down into there. And, and at that point in time, both mom and dad lose it. It's like quick quick anger, like quick, pure, just wrath on that child. Like, right? And, and that's just, we've all experienced that. In my house, I'm the quick anger guy. Like Desiree, my, my wife, she, she is, like if, if one of our kids drops spaghetti down the heat vent, she would just like laugh and be like, well, just clean it up. Or Josh will clean that up actually, right? And I'm over there just like trying not to like rip my hair out. Like that's, that's me. I'm the quick anger guy. And we've all experienced quick anger, but then there's this long anger. Now, it's not slow anger. It's not this, it's not this long fuse person. It's, it's, not, it's not Desiree. It's, it's long anger. It's what Saul experiences. You see, in this moment, this moment defines, I said earlier, defines the rest of the book. This is chapter 18. There's 31 chapters in 1 Samuel. And the rest of the story is about Saul trying to hunt down and kill and capture David. David is fleeing. He's hiding in caves and in the woods and in the fields. And Saul is sending person after person after person and entire armies to find him and to pursue him and to kill him. It's this long anger against someone. And this is what jealousy produces. There's another word for this long anger. It's hate. Jealousy produces hate. And the reality is, the reality of jealousy is this. Anger, anger would be the right response to someone who did those things to you. Just think, think about it for a second. If somebody actually inserted themselves into your workplace with the intention of stealing your job, I can see how you'd be angry about that. If somebody snuck into your group of friends with the intention of winning them over and pushing you out, I could see I'd be angry about that. But jealousy is when those things are simply not true. And you've begun to believe and buy into a lie that they are true. And it produces an anger in you that is, that is un, unright. It's unright. It's not right. And as you allow that to produce, envy goes unchecked, jealousy goes unchecked, anger goes unchecked, and it turns into hatred. And the reality is, the reality is, some of you in this room this morning have experienced this. Right now in your life, there are people in your life who literally hate you. And have for a long time over something that they've created in their mind that is simply not true. And they've convinced, and they believe it, they believe it with all their heart, they believe it. But it's just not true. Long anger, hatred, is the result of unchecked and unconfessed sin. Envy goes unchecked. Jealousy goes unchecked, and anger goes unchecked and unconfessed, and it produces in us hatred. But what created all of this in the first place? 
What's the underlying theme here? What do we see that, that produced the envy and the jealousy and the anger? What, what created all of that? The same thing that's created everything in the life of Saul. If, you, if you've been with us, if you've been tracking along, you know the answer to this question, right? Saul, from day one, struggles with one core sin issue. Do you guys remember what it is? Who remembers what it is? Don't leave me hanging. Come on. Say, say it later. Yeah, the fear of man. It's a fear of man. That is Saul's issue. From day one, every scene, every picture of his life that we see is the fear of man that produces the response from Saul. He's so afraid of what's going to happen to him or what people are going to think. And in this instance, he's afraid, oh, what's David going to do? People are going to like him more than they like me. People are going to see him and they're going to think he's better than me. He's going to take my kingdom. It's fear of man. It's just, it's just illogical. This fear has produced this in him. And the text reveals that. The text shows it to us. Literally, in verse 10, I lost my place again. In verse 10, in verse 11, Saul throws a spear and tries to pin David to the wall. He has a spear. David has a harp. Verse 12, Saul was afraid of David. He's afraid of him. The guy holding the spear is afraid of the guy playing the harp. Because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. If you, if you skip down to 15. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. He's afraid of him. Not because David is strong or violent. Because David loves the Lord. And Saul has distanced himself from the Lord. Fear, fear removes us from the presence of God. I know that might be a big statement that might shock some of you. Fear removes us from the presence of God. I think it was Master Yoda who said something like, fear produces anger, anger produces hate, and hate produces suffering. That suffering is the removal from the presence of God. Look at John, 1 John chapter 4. It'll be up here on the screens for you. First John chapter 4, verse 18 through 21 reads this way. There is no fear in love... But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he, Christ, because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, does not, for he who does not love his brother who he sees cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Those who walk in the fear of man have not been perfected in the love of Christ. Saul is afraid because he feels the distance from God. David does not fear, he does not fear Goliath, he does not fear Saul because he is drawn near to God. 
the God who is love, perfect love. That perfect love casts out all fear. Unchecked jealousy destroys our lives. It brings in all kinds of things, anger and hatred, false beliefs of other people, and destroys, it destroys our friendships, our marriages, it destroys our careers, relationships. Unchecked envy, unchecked jealousy, unchecked anger, unchecked hate, all produced by fear. For many of us in the room, we have been on the receiving side of unchecked jealousy. People in our lives have, have conjured ideas that are simply not true. They believe things about us that are not true. It's gone unchecked and it's led to anger towards us. It's led to hatred towards us. We've experienced their lack of love. What do we do if that's you this morning? If you're heading into Thanksgiving and you realize you got to go and hang out with your family and you know there's someone in your family who absolutely cannot stand you, who maybe won't even be there because they just don't want to speak to you, what do we do? I want to challenge you to remember that Jesus is better than their lack of love for you. Do not give in to the desire for revenge or retaliation. Do not meet anger with anger. Do not, meet, do not meet hatred with hatred. It's no coincidence that in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus speaks about how anger is this, is this murderous sin, he quickly follows that up a few verses later about not retaliating, about loving our inner enemies and forgiving those who persecute us. It's no coincidence that he, that he meets it with that quickly. Because those who have been sinned against in anger, we are, our hearts, our sinful nature longs to respond with anger. But when you respond with anger, you invite the same destruction. You cannot respond in anger because in order to respond in anger, you distance, you remove yourself from God. You distance yourself from Christ. And so what do we do? We respond to how David does, as we're going to see next week, right? David avoids the conflict. He runs, he flees, he hides in caves and forests. But when he's given the opportunity, when he has the chance, he extends love to Saul. You say, well, how can, how can that be? How could you possibly love someone who hates you? Because someone has loved you who you have hated. We love because he first loved us, as John says in 1 John. We have rejected Christ. We've turned our back on him. We have hated him again and again and again. We've chosen ourselves over him, and yet he still lays down his life for us. And so we model Christ for that person so that they might taste and see perfect love. We want those who are angry with us, for those who hate us, even though they've created this thing in their minds, it's unjust anger. We respond love that they might know perfect love. And that they might again and again and again over the course of a lifetime, they might, they might one day stop and say, wait, why are you being so nice to me? You say, well, because Christ loved me when I didn't love him in return. When I was a sinner, Christ died for me, the just for the unjust. And so I have no right to hate you. I have no right to be angry with you because he has not hated me, but he has loved me. 
that they might taste and see perfect love. You have an amazing opportunity before you. If this is you and you are, and you are patiently enduring evil in your life, as Paul says to Timothy, whether it's from a coworker or a friend, a family member, if this is you, be patient. Cling to Christ and believe that he's better than their lack of love. His love is better than their lack of love for you. And extend love. Show them what perfect love is. For others of us in the room, right now we are angry with somebody in our lives. Who is that person? Where, where in your life are you experiencing some level of anger towards somebody? A family member? Somebody who used to befriend? Somebody at work? Where do you see anger in your life? Who are you frustrated with right now? I want you to ask the question, where did it all begin? Where did it start? Did they have something that you didn't have? Did they have some sort of skill or talent or woo that you didn't have? Did people laugh at their jokes more? Did people want to hang out with them a little bit more? Did they get that raise at work that you didn't get? What did they have that you didn't have? Where did that go unchecked? Did that produce a story? Now, I know, besides the power of the Holy Spirit, I have no ability to convince you that what you believe about them is untrue. I'll never convince you. They'll never convince you. But what does all of the evidence actually suggest? Are they that dirty? Do they deserve that anger and that wrath that you poured out upon them? What have you convinced yourself that is true about them that is simply not true? I want you to realize this. Most important thing, every moment of your life that you spend in anger towards someone else, is a moment that you do not spend in the presence of God. Every moment of your life that you spend with anger in your heart towards someone else is a moment that you're driving yourself farther and farther and farther from the person of Christ. You cannot have a relationship with the God who is love when there's anger in your heart towards someone else. It does not work that way. You cannot say that you love your brother or that you hate your brother and you love God. You cannot do that. So we must remember that Jesus is better than whatever they have. Whatever they had that, that you didn't have, that talent, that charisma, that, that funniness, those wits, that smarts, that fame, that fortune, whatever they had that you didn't have, Jesus is better than that. And every moment that you spend angry with them because they have something that you don't have or because you believe they're going to take something from you, every moment that you spend angry with them, you're driving yourself farther and farther away from something that's greater. The greater thing is over here, and you're pushing the greater thing away because you want to be angry with this person who has something lesser. Do you not do that? It's foolish. I know in your mind you, we convince ourselves, no, no, this is, this is right, that's not right. To be angry with somebody because they have something that you don't have is to invite suffering upon yourself. 
because you're giving up something far better. Christ is far better than whatever they have. So today is the day that you pick up the phone. Maybe it's right now. Maybe, maybe you just got to shoot a text right now and say, brother, sister, I am sorry. I'm sorry. I was envious of you. And that envy has bred jealousy and hatred in my heart towards you. And I've thought things that are not true. And I've said things that are not true. I need your forgiveness. I'm sorry. And today is the day that you need to return to Christ. Some of you in the room might wonder, why do I seem so distant from God? Why can I not have this flourishing relationship that is so often talked about here at Flourishing Grace? If there's someone in your life that you've harbored this grudge against, I'll tell you exactly why you don't have a flourishing relationship with Jesus. It's impossible. It is absolutely impossible. Forgive them. And remember that you are forgiven. By the God who is love. And who longs to love you perfectly. Release your grasp on that anger. Confess it. Confess it. Confess it out loud to them. Go to them and say, I'm sorry. And then repent and go to Christ and say, I need you. I need the better thing in my life. Why don't you guys go ahead and stand. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, I pray this morning that the reality in this dream would be simply this. You are better. You are better than someone's lack of love for me. Your love is far greater than that. You are better than whatever I might desire enviously that I might be envious of in anyone else's life. You are better than that. And to pursue those things through jealousy and anger and ultimately hatred, to be afraid of what I might lose, to allow fear to drive my life, will drive me away from you. Remind us that you are better. You are better than all of those desires that we see out there in other people's lives. So help us to be people of confession. A people who see you as Lord of all things, King of all kings. Let us submit our lives to your rule and reign. Let us be a people of perfect love. Who meet anger and hatred with love again and again and again. We avoid quarreling. We avoid irreverent babble. And we engage with kindness and love and mercy again and again and again, produced only by you. You are the only one that can produce that in us. So let us draw near to the God of love. Let us be perfected in love. And let us love one another as you have loved us. I pray these things in your name, in the sweet name of Jesus. Amen.